0: I'm uh, really excited to be here this morning and sharing with you some thoughts from our series in Colossians we 're continuing that this morning. I want to begin by a quick recap of what Pastor Aaron said last week because it sits up this morning so well. Um, we have to watch out in our faith journey that we don 't get derailed, and oftentimes the way we get derailed is by doubt or disillusionment or discouragement or detours and as Pastor Aaron shared last week, then what we have to be really diligent in doing is, is to seek God in prayer and read his word and, and don't neglect the importance of the body of Christ, of mutual encouragement. But one point uh, in his application really struck me, and I've been trying to practice it this week. Is uh, He left us with a challenge last week to uh, thank God 10 to 20 times during the course of the upcoming week. Have you done that? Anybody did that this week? Anybody here? Huh? Well, first hour did way better than you guys. I don't know, what I'm just, I'm not comparing. I don't uh, That's a bad joke. Anyway, um, so I, I found myself this uh, this last week, uh, well, even before I did the message, kind of complaining about the cold. And I don't know why you do that in South Dakota. It doesn't make it any better. And so we got the snowstorm, this a weekend ago, remember that? A real beautiful snowstorm. I thought, instead of complaining about this, I had to go out and enjoy it. And so I decided to go cross-country skiing at the nature park in the middle of the snowstorm last Saturday, and as I was out there, I thought, this is absolutely gorgeous. And I took a picture of my phone and sent it to my kids and said, enjoying a five-mile ski in the middle of a storm, and uh, it was really, really fun. And I thought, you know, by having an attitude of gratitude, it just changed my altitude on that situation. I looked at it differently. Instead of being a complainer about what was happening, I said, you know what? I might as well make lemonade out of lemons, right? I might as well just enjoy the beauty that God brings our way. And so I cross country skied for five miles a day. In fact, I did it six times this last week. I'd I really got into it. Um, but I found myself thanking God for snow instead of... Uh, you know, being a little irritated about it and changed my perspective tremendously. This morning we're picking up where we left off last week. Um, we're going to get to Colossians chapter 3 now. And, and instead of looking at how to keep your life from being derailed in Jesus, what we're going to talk about this morning is, is how to have this right trajectory uh, how to set our minds and our hearts on things above. And I want to begin by, by reading to you Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-11. through 11. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says under the anointing of the Holy Spirit here to us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So basically, Paul is telling us you need to set your life on the right trajectory. I've noticed that when I putt, when I play golf, that if my club head is off just a little bit, I miss. Now that's understandable because you're hitting a what? Small ball at a what? Small hole. Now some of you don't play golf, but a lot of you mini putt, right? So this is still gonna relate to you. So being kind of a mathematician in nature, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna calculate this. So I thought, if my putter face is say, about a sixteenth of an inch off. So every inch I put the ball, it goes a sixteenth inch off from where I aimed it or thought I was aiming it. What happens when I do a ten-foot putt? So I have a ten-foot putt marked out here. Then I have this electronic return device here that's supposed to turn the ball back to you if you make it in it. But So you putt, a, uh, I'd say, a ten-foot putt, right? So you, you go ten feet, right? You're a sixteenth inch off on your face. By the time you get to the hole here, which, by the way... It's four and a quarter inches. Your putt will be seven and a half inches off, and you'll miss everything entirely, like a lot. And I thought, oh, no wonder I miss so frequently. You know, it's really kind of difficult. Did you know that pros from eight feet only make 50% of their putts? You just see the ones they make on TV, you don't see the ones they miss. Did you know that? So if nothing else, who cares, right? Um, If nothing else, what I'm learning here is this, to stop and say, thank you, God, I made a putt, and have an attitude of gratitude that has a different altitude to it, amen? Um, If nothing else, I learned that. But I also think, wow, a little bit of a misdirected hit results in a big miss over here. Now, if you don't relate to... uh, golf and putting. Let's take this to a ski analogy since I just showed you a picture of that. Um, so like I said, I was out skiing six times this last weekend on, um, I, I believe it was Friday, Vicky and I went to uh, Sioux Falls and got her some boots and bindings for her snow skis. And I said, y- we should go out together. And she wanted to do this. I didn't realize it's been 40 years since she skied. Um, time really flies, you know that? It really goes by. So anyway, we go out on Saturday. I thought, well, we should go out. That's yesterday. It's very icy now. And normally on the cross-country skiing trails here in the nature park, they groom them. So they actually have two uh, groomed kind of divots in the snow that you put your skis in and you just kind of go. And they hold the skis nice and straight. Those were all gone Saturday. And uh, my dear wife is out there face-planting about every 20 yards to start with. It's very slippery. <laughs> She's over here. I'm trying not to look at her. Uh, and good for her because she was laughing about it because I was a little worried. It looked like it hurt. She would sp- just, all it takes is a little bit off on this foot, and a little bit off on that foot, and pretty soon they're going like this, and down you go on your face in the snow. And then I would help her get back up, and I kept telling her, if we just get to the north side of the nature park, that, that The the tracks are still there, and you can just lock your skis in there, and it'll be much easier. But it was about three-quarters of a mile to get there. you know. And bless her heart, she persevered all the way there. But I thought, a little bit of misdirection, face plant, down you go. When we did get to the track, she did really well. In fact, she skied right up behind me and said I was going too slow. So I go, oh, okay. You know, uh, it just shows you what alignment does for you. A little bit of misdirection can often create a big, misstep, a big miss in life or faceplant. Now, golf and skiing is fun, but that's not what this message is about. I want to take it right to our spiritual side uh, of our beings. Listen, a bit of misdirection can result in a big miss in life or faceplant down the road. So, our theme this morning is this: trajectory in life really matters a lot. The aim of your life matters a lot. Small misdirections can result in big misses in life. Um It might appear that these small decisions, they don't matter, they're no big deal, but they can lead to big misses in our life. Uh, Let's go back again to Aaron's message last week. So we're called by God to to be rooted in him. This will practically play itself out in um, the practice of prayer in our life or reading God's word or involvement in the body life with mutual encouragement. If on a daily basis you say, I'm not going to read God's word, I am not going to pray. I don't need the body of Christ. I can do this thing on my own or whatever be the case. That's a miss hit every day. It may only be a small miss hit. And you may be just a sixteenth of an inch off. But when you ignore these things like prayer and the word and body life, even though it seems like it's no big deal, down the road at some point you'll have a big miss in life because of it. Um, you'll not even be close to where you should be. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I just finished reading Psalms uh, in my Bible reading. And I got to Psalm 90, which I always enjoy. It says, you know, that God will grace us with 70 years of life, 85 by strength. And then it goes on to say this, knowing that we only live 70 years or 80 years if by strength, the psalmist says, God, teach me to number my days aright, that I may gain a heart of wisdom, So what the psalmist is saying to you and I is this. Listen, your life is short. You will die. Normally, that'll be about 70 years. You will die. You might go to 80. Some of you 90. Some of you 95, 100. You will die. And then he goes, okay, God, knowing that, teach me to number my days aright. Teach me to live a life on purpose. Teach me to aim my life at you so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. If you never read that, if you never ponder that, then you're going to go through life kind of aimless, and it's going to go by quickly, and you're going to get to the end of your days, and you're going to have a big mess in your life. And you're going to miss everything that God could have done and would have done, and you're going to regret where your life ends up. I don't want to be that person, do you? So we want to be people that are setting ourselves on the things of God. Prayer and God's word and body life, they all help us to do that. There are two critical trajectory settings that that the Apostle Paul identifies for us in this scripture. First of all, we're to set our hearts on things above. In general, we're just to set our hearts on things above. This is speaking to passion. This is about allegiance to Jesus. That takes precedence over all allegiance to everything else. The idea is that you're seeking Christ and you're in love with him and you're centered on Jesus and your 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 attitude and ambitions and outlook are all kind of molded uh, by that perspective. I know a lot of people have passions about a lot of things. I'm one of them. I know people who are passionate about starting a new business. They're passionate about possibly getting their degree or passionate about recreation. I mean, I am jacked personally because in In May, Vicky and I are going to go on a a vacation for two weeks, God willing, and go to Colorado, and we're going to hike. And I I love that. And we might even try to do a a fourteen thousand foot high mountain. I guess that's Vicky's idea. I don't know if that's such a good idea or not. But uh, any rate, we're going to try. But you know, I'm, I'm passionate about. I think about it. It occupies my mind. I don't have to work it up. I go, "Oh, that sounds like fun, right?" I mean. When I go to Snap to work out, it's really good for me and I do it, but it's discipline. When I could go outside and do something, and if I could, I, I, it's fun. I'm passionate. Now, we need to have that kind of passion for Christ that sets our hearts on things above. If you don't have that passion, ask God to give you that passion. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and to set it on fire so that when you think about Jesus, you have passion. Yeah, and you have a fire that that that's unquenchable all right Secondly, Paul says, set your mind on things above. So not only are we to have our passions directed to things above, but also there's supposed to be this cognitive side of your being that's focused on things above. You're supposed to think about the things of God, uh, be preoccupied with the things of God. This means you're not only longing and looking forward to heaven, but heaven is occupying your thinking now. You're, you're, you're giving space in, in, your, in your mental being to, to Think on things of God. Last January, we did this four-week seminar here at church on on intentional discipleship. Basically, the purpose of that seminar was simple. It is a seminar to help you to set your heart and set your mind on things above. So we started with prayer. We talked about this idea that we need to be people who pray because it sets our hearts and it sets our minds on things above, right? Right. Now, prayer, forget the stereotypical way of looking at prayer. Uh, What I want you to understand is God wants us to pray, figure out a way that works for you. For me, running helps you pray. So I pray while I run because I don't fall asleep then. If I do, I have a bigger problem than that. But maybe you pray well early in the morning or late at night. Oftentimes, you know what? God wants us to use a reading in the word that we're in, uh, scripture, to, to prompt the prayer. You're reading something, you go, oh, I should pray that to God. Use that to Set your heart and set your mind on things above. I know a lot of times we we read about social issues that are going on and, you know, you get all concerned about world issues. You know what? When you get concerned like that, that is a perfect opportunity to set your heart and set your mind on things above by praying those things to God instead of worrying about them. Then we need to study God's word and use it to set our trajectory towards things of heaven. Read his word and ponder it, you know, and, and, and kind of like I just shared with you on Psalm 90, use God's word that way and say, oh, man, my life is fleeting. What am I living for? Um, teach me, God, to number my days aright, that I may gain a heart of wisdom and, and begin to use those things to set your mind and set your heart on things above. And, and, and you can use things like spiritual disciplines. Oh, my, they're such an untapped resource for connection with God. I mean, meditation and fasting and simplicity, whatever be the spiritual discipline you're looking at, the purpose of those is to aim our lives towards heaven, okay, and connect with God. The idea of all this is that we have the right dominance in our life, that the things of God dominate us, not the things of this world. Years ago, I went to the eye doctor, And I wanted to get contacts once again. I hate glasses. I like seeing, so I wear them. But I can't stand these things. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go back to having contacts. Here's the problem. I'm older now. And so now, not only do I have glasses to see far, but I need glasses to see near. It's called bifocals. But if I take my glasses off, I see perfect. Two, three feet. So I can read without glasses on. But once they fix fixed my prescription, I can't see the doggone thing close to me, right? So I'm talking to the eye doctor, and she says, what we're going to do for you is we're going to give you one contact where you see far, one contact where you see near. I thought, that sounds strange. Is that going to mess my mind up? Well, I wasn't way off being concerned that way. She said, it's really important when we do this that we have your dominant eye be the eye that sees far, because the other eye will slave to it. And we don't want to change your dominance around, because it can mess up your personality. I said, well, i got enough personality mess up going on right now, so let's not have a physical reason for that also. So she gets testing me, and she says, did you know your left eye dominant? I said, no, I'm right-handed. Is that normal? She said, no. I said, well, that figures, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just par for the course, and when I get to, so so she said, so we're going to make your left eye see far, your right eye see near, and all that should be fine. I thought, huh, and she said, are you wondering why you're right-handed? I said, yeah, kind of. Well, you know, you're older. I said, everybody tells me that anymore. Anyway, she said, they probably just made you right-handed because that's what they did back then. Oh, okay, whatever. Anyway, so I go home, I tell my lovely wife, who's strange, as you're finding out, um, about this Dominance thing. Without any warning at all, she just lunges at me and pushes me. And I flail back and she says, Hey, you're left foot dominant too. And I said, Where'd that come from? And how do you even know that kind of stuff? You know what I mean? Who does that? Who even knows that? And I go, All right, so I'm left foot dominant, right, uh, left eye dominant. Well, the interesting thing is the eye doctor said, If you shoot a gun, which I don't, Shoot left-handed, or you won't hit a thing. Huh. So wouldn't you know, about a month later, I'm going to my son-in-law's house, and he has set up a little shooting range. He lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he says, let's go out with the 22 and shoot at targets. I go, I've never done that. I'm going to shoot left-handed. I couldn't miss. I thought the doctor's a genius. (laughs) This does work. If I try right eye, I actually look at a target that's not there. It's like six inches off. When I use my left eye, it's right on. She's smart. But the the idea here is, that you got to understand dominance in your life a little bit. Now, I once again, this isn't about eye dominance. I want to talk to you about spiritual dominance. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to us in, in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Colossians three, is that you have to have the right dominance in your eye, in, in, the, in the way you look at things, and the rest needs to be slave to that. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, heaven must be the dominant thing; earth must slave to heaven. Frequently what is going on in our lives is earth is the dominant thing and we try to slave heaven to it. If you do that, you're going to be messed up. It's going to mess you up and you're not going to do life right. Earthly things need to be slaved to heavenly things dominance. And there are two, I think, two reorientation of trajectory steps that we can take to make sure that heaven is dominant and earth is slave to it. I'm going to talk about one this morning and I'm going to talk about the second one next week. But let me give you the point and then talk about the first one this morning. Trajectory reorientation involves two things. It's removal removal of old self from dominance. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And putting on the new self in Jesus as a new dominance, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, this first piece of reorientation, I read about it this morning from Colossians chapter 3. It's the list of don'ts that we read today. Um, we're getting real practical now. Paul's going to take us, I like Paul because of that. He takes us to this concept, you know, heaven should dominate, dominate. Earth should be slave to it. And then he takes us to some practicality of how that should take place. So I call this a refocus of your life. Remove the dominance of your old self. Just remove the dominance of your old self. That has to become something we do very much on purpose. This deals with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. These things cannot dominate us as followers of God. They can't be the thing that drives us as people. Now, I heard a recent podcast that talks about how to really begin to address some of these issues in our lives. And I want to share that with you today. We have this tendency to realize, oh, i got this problem in my life. And we kind of do some, what I call, surface addressing of it. It's kind of like cleaning out the cobwebs in your house. You clean out the cobwebs, what happens the next day? They're back. You know why? Because that spider's still alive. And that's what's creating the cobwebs. And so in our lives, sometimes we'll say, "Well, I got this problem, I got this problem, I got this problem." And we have a tendency to do some cobweb addressing, but we're never getting to the spider, the reason behind it. We're never letting ourselves go to that root cause and letting the spider be killed. You've got to drill down and get to what is the spider. And kill that thing in order to get rid of the cobwebs once and for all. So let me give you some examples. For, exa- uh, for example, um, if you have a problem with slander. Let's say you have a problem with slander. It's more the stopping slander that you need to be about. It needs to be looked at as, why am I doing this? Am I jealous of other people? Why am I jealous of other people? Am I insecure? Was something done to me? Do I want to constantly make myself look good by making other people look bad? What's going on there? What's the root cause? What is the reason behind this cobweb of slander in my life? I got to kill the spider. I got to get to the point of drilling down deep enough into my soul where I get to say, okay, God, I admit I'm an insecure person. I admit, God, I'm jealous. I repent of that. I pray for your Holy Spirit to come into me, fill me, and create in me a new sense of well-being in you where I don't have to put other people down. You're killing the spider then instead of just cleaning up the cobwebs. How about uh, if you're dealing with, um, let's say, greed, and you have a problem with the accumulation of stuff, and you're thinking I can find security there. Um, all right, drill, all, drill down on that. Did you grow up in a scarcity situation? Sometimes we grow up in these environments where we don't have enough to eat or whatever. And so when we get older, we compensate for that by, by, by trying to accumulate stuff and never having to have that experience again. Or, or, or perhaps you're thinking this stuff can make you happy or whatever. And, and you've got to drill down and say, God, why, why do I have this greed problem in my life? Because God's generous. You're not going to take any of it to heaven. So generosity ought to be reflective of God's people. Ask God to, to root it out in you and reveal it to you, and then, then ask the Holy Spirit to do a work deep in you and change you. Anger is another big problem in our culture right now. we got a lot of angry people. I tell you, breathing techniques okay. <laughs> it's cowboy time, though. You're just cleaning out some cobwebs. you got to ask yourself, why do I get so angry? Angry usually has a, a, a root cause of some kind of unmet expectation in your life. Or some unrealistic expectation, or some happening you weren't expecting, or whatever. That you got to get to the root cause. Why are you angry? Were you expecting people to do something for you that only God can do for you? Did you have unrealistic expectations of the Christian life? Do you have biblical expectations of life? Drill down on that thing a little bit. Anger is just a symptom, usually, that something's amiss deep in your soul, and you got to kill the spider. Trouble with, spiders come back to life, don't they? So you might have to do this over and over then, but get to the recast behind the thing. So here's a reflection question for you to consider this morning. It's this. Which of these are a problem for you? What will it look like to remove their dominance from your life? See, what dominates us should be Christ. And in Christ, you know, there's no classification. There's no Jew, Greek, or... Scythian or Bavarian or whatever, but all is one in Christ. So our summary today is simply this. It's all about Jesus and a life aimed at him. That's what we really got to understand today, okay? So we're only looking at the one piece of reorientation today, and that's kind of dealing with these issues. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to put on Christ and become new in him. But listen, this week, I challenge you, be intentional about your life. When you have one of these issues that Paul listed here, peel it back a little bit and, and get to the cause, and kill that spider, kill him good, right? Kill him good. Step on that spider. We had a daughter who was incredibly afraid of spiders. And every time there was a spider in her room, she would go, ah! are you awake now? Because she would do that. It would scare us to death. What's wrong? Spider. Okay, we'll kill it. There, okay. You know what I mean? But you got at some point, kill the spider. You know what I've had happen to me this last week? I have a bunny friend. He's decided to live under my pine trees. I thought that was cute to start with. But now I've been realizing my bunny friend likes to eat my landscape bushes I just put in last week. They cost $25 each. That's expensive bunny food. He's eaten four of them now. Or she. We don't want to be sexist here. <laughs> so I've been wrapping starting to wrap chicken wire around bushes, bushes. I'm on bush number six today. I'm going, okay, this is stupid. I need to build a live trap and I need to trap that bunny rabbit. Now, because my wife is compassionate and kind, it'll be a live trap. And I'll let it go into somebody else's yard and that bunny can eat their bushes. It is just a rodent. I've had this discussion at home. It's no different than a mouse, but they're cuter. So we'll keep it alive for now. I'll let it go in some farmers. No, I won't say that either. I'll let it go uh, at the nature park. There you go. When I'm skiing sometime. That's a great plan. I didn't think of that. That'll work out good. But I got to catch that bunny. It's not cute anymore. It needs to go. And you know what? The chicken wire was just cobweb cleaning. And sometimes in our lives we have these issues going on. And for a season, we begin to do a little bit of fence here, a little bit of dusting over here. At some point, we got to go, enough! What's going on in my heart, God? And God, I want you to do a deep work of renewal and rebirth, and I want, instead of being a person that slanders, be a person that's generous with my compliments, and I truly rejoice with others when they have good things happen in their life and there's not a smidgen of jealousy within me. Amen? And you begin to be the opposite of what you are because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Anyway, we're going to talk more on this next week, but listen, I want to leave you one thought. Stress is a big problem in our culture, isn't it? Anxiety and stress. And relaxing and breathing is good. I have even a relaxing app on my little i my Apple phone, all right? And every now and then it dings. it says, it's time to breathe. I know, I breathe all the time. It's a good thing to do, you know? But what it means is this rhythmic breathing to relax. That's okay. But if you're chronically stressed out, why? Are you not trusting God? Are you carrying things you're not meant to carry? Peel it back. Kill the spider, kill it bad. Get rid of it. So, we're invited by the Apostle Paul into this life where it's aimed at heaven. Small misdirections can result in big misses. And so we're going to set our hearts and set our minds on things above. That's life in the sweet spot. That's a life uh, worth living. So let's pray, and then we're going to have a, a moment of communion. When you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this word from the Apostle Paul that is so appropriate to us in our day and age. And I want to pray for every person here at Grace Point uh, this morning that we would set, we would set our hearts and set our minds on things above. That we would remove the dominance of this earth. And Lord, that we would have this correct dominance of heaven and that the earthly things would be slaved then to that dominance. God, we love you. We praise you. And I pray for anyone that doesn't know you this morning, Jesus, because you can't do any of this without knowing you. I just pray that if someone's here today and they need you, Jesus, that even in the quietness of this moment, they give their heart to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd fill that one and fill all of us with the person of the Holy Spirit because we can't do any of this on our own. We, we, we need your empowerment, Lord, to live a life like this. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your holy name and all God's people said, amen. amen.